I'm Gav. It's been great to be with you in Northern Ireland so far. And we're really excited about this morning's uh, session on Game Changers. This is based on a little book we've written. Um, and this book looks at five E's that we'll look at this morning. Not drugs. E's as in words. And five E's about how we might transform the world in our time. Because I don't know about you. I've had enough of all the negativity, haven't you? I really believe in our time we can see transformation for Jesus. And that's what this is about. And um, just to say, they've got loads of these in the bookshop. It retails at eight ninety nine. Outrageously, they're selling them for £6.50. Now, I'm originally from near Peckham, where Del Boy's from. And believe you me, that is a Del Boy deal, isn't it? £6.50, outrageous. Um, however, and also just to say, if you buy one, every penny goes to EA of any royalty and stuff. I don't take any money from it, because why write about reaching people and keep the money? But I wondered if anyone wanted one for free. Anyone want one? Okay, if you want one for free and you're able, would you just stand, please? If you want one, just stand. We're going to play a game. If you don't want one for free, don't stand up. If you want to win one, someone's going to win this and about eight of you have stood. That's fine. If no one else wants one, that's fine. But it's your last moment. Okay. You can get to know us slightly better. Okay. If you haven't stood up, you're too late. Okay, first question, and you have to choose one of us. Who is older, me or Anne? Right, put your hand up if it's Anne. Keep your hand down if it's me. Okay, if your hands are down, you've got to sit down. You're out. Okay, who got a better mark in their theology degree? Put your hand up if it's Anne. Keep your hand down if it's me. Right, if your hands are down, you've got to sit down. It's Anne. Right. Who is a better cook? Put your hands up if it's Anne. Keep it down if it's me. Hands up if it's Anne. Hands down if it's me. Okay, if your hands are down, you've got to sit down. Anne's a much better cook than me. Right, the last two. Let's hope you go different ways. Who is better at sewing? Anne or me, hand up if it's Anne, hand down if it's me. Right, hand down at the back, it's me. It's me by an absolute mile. You can bless it. I won't tell you the story behind that because I think I might tell you later tonight, but it's funny. Anyway, we want to look at game changers. We want to look at what that means because the landscape needs to be changed. Not long ago, um, the Archbishop Russell Brand said this. Um, he says... We need a spiritual revolution. You know, it's interesting. People might not be talking about my Jesus and your Jesus. But there's a sense in the culture that something's got to change. Secularization started to eat itself. Have you noticed that? I, I can't talk about that this morning. I'm going to talk about that later in the week when I look at culture. But secularization is starting to eat itself. And in the midst of that, people are looking for a different narrative. They're looking for a spiritual revolution. A friend of mine is a guy called Leonard Sweet, who's a theologian. And he says the future is not something we enter. The future is something we create. The reason I throw that out there is sometimes we feel like we just stand by and let culture become what it becomes. We are part of shaping culture. We are part of changing the landscape. We can change the game. Then a friend of mine, Nicky Gumble, says this. In every generation, the world is changed by a few people who stand for something, do not fear unpopularity, and dare to make a difference. Will we be those people? Lord Jesus, I pray as we look at this this morning, 
I pray firstly you'd affirm in us that we could be those people. I pray, Lord, there'd be a sense in our spirits that you could use us. Lord, whether it's because we have good self-esteem or whether it's because we know you have a perverse sense of humor, would we be open to the fact that you would choose to use us and that together we might just be able to change the world? Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Or is it afternoon now? Or nearly afternoon. Can everyone hear me okay at the back? This place is beautiful, isn't it? We've got the privilege of staying down right by the sea. And oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I've never been to Northern Ireland before. So it's such a joy and a privilege to be here with you all. And despite the wind and the jumpers and the layers, I hope you're all warm enough. <laughs> we're kind of, we're able to stand and be moving about. So we're all right. But bless you. I hope that you're warm enough. We're going to dig into Exodus and we're going to look at Moses this morning and and kind of this is the narrative of the book and we found that as we were writing the book, you know, the Lord was working deeply in our life um, as we were writing and and you'll hear some of that as we um, begin to share but I I really believe that unless you've, you know, you've journeyed something in you that actually it's very, very difficult to speak about it or write about it. So it began in our heart and in our lives and so I hope that that then really speaks powerfully to you where's the notes Gav (laughs) that's the um those notes anyway so the first e okay the first e is encounter and um let's go to that here we go and we're gonna thank you joe that's good. Well, that would have been a test, wouldn't it? We'll just see how we get on. Um, but the first E is encounter. And we're going to look at Moses at the burning bush. And you might want to just turn to Exodus chapter 3. And Moses has walked this terrain for over 40 years. And he's probably walked it a hundred times. You know, it's part of his normal everyday routine. And it, essentially, it's like the backside of the desert. You know, it's a very kind of everyday, mundane thing. And I just believe that the Lord wants to meet us in the normal and the everyday. And I just want to highlight particularly verse Three, where Moses says this, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I will go over and see this strange sight. So suddenly he sees this bush, which would normally burn up on average in about nine seconds. And this bush is not burning up. So he thinks, I'm going to go over and I'm going to have a look at this bush. And, and I just really felt like when we were, Gavin and I were looking at this, that the Lord was saying, this is not about, I'm going to go and encounter God for him to bless me. I'm going to meet with God because I want that feeling of niceness when I meet with God. This is actually about a real transformation in his life, that he encounters God for it to then transform and touch and reach many, many people. And you just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think about an encounter that you have had with the Lord. The moment when you realized he was real. The moment when you met with him. You know, perhaps that was when you were a child. It might have been an encounter that you had even last week. But when you encountered Jesus, how did that change your life?
What difference did it make to who you are and then who you were as you walked out of that place? Mm, brilliant. The truth is, and I can see you're just remembering that. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? And it's so different for every individual in this room. But it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything about our lives. And God wants to keep on encountering his children that we could keep on changing our bit of the world for him. Because as we encounter him, these things happen. We realize stuff in our lives that needs to change. And that doesn't just happen once, but it continues again and again. We realize how much God loves us. We find a hunger for God. And we start to feel different towards other people. We start to see other people differently. And so Moses' whole world is changed at this encounter at the burning bush. And we're just going to look at this a little bit more as we journey on. So when we encounter God, we choose if we're going to enlist, and this is our second E, if we're going to enlist in what God has for us to do. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Moses as a leader, I tend to think of him as this great, mighty, amazing guy who led these Israelites towards the promised land, who parted the Red Sea with his staff and did amazing things. But the reality is, when we look deeply into Exodus 3 and 4, we discover a man who was riddled with questions, who had all these insecurities, who had all these things that were going on inside him. And he was like, can I actually overcome all of these things in order to go to Pharaoh? And we're just going to look at these things quite quickly this morning. So firstly, there's five specific questions that Moses says to God. And the first one is here in verse 11 and chapter 3. Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And you can just sense in Moses this, who am I? I am nothing. I am no one. Who am I to do this? God, why would you call me? And you know what? When we see, when we read the beginning of Exodus, we discover that actually Moses was rescued by God, wasn't he? His mother put him out into the water and he was rescued. His life was saved from death. He should have died. You know, all of the young boys were meant to be put to, be put to death and yet Moses' life was saved. And God says to him here in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I have come down to rescue my people, my Israelites, from the hand of the Egyptians. And essentially, you can hear this narrative of the Lord saying, as I rescued you, now I will use you to rescue my people. And if you take anything away this morning, it's this. What the Lord has done in you, he wants to do through you. What the Lord has done in you, he wants to do through you. Secondly, in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says this, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? 
then what shall I tell them? I love this, this kind of open, real, honest conversation that Moses is having with God. And he calls us to this, this realness with him. Suppose I go, Lord, you know, how's this going to look? Tell me a bit more. And he, you can imagine him predicting what's going to happen. Lord, how, how is this future going to look? And imagining the kind of the worst case scenario before making a decision. He's so afraid of what could happen if he says, yes, Lord, I'll go to Pharaoh. And you know, the words, what if, are so destructive. And what if can keep us rooted where we are when God has so much for you and for me? Has anyone seen the Letters to Juliet movie that came out in 2010? There's a few smiles coming back. There's this amazing bit in one of the letters that the girl, one of the girls writes, and she says this, What and if are two words as non-threatening as words can be, but put them together side by side, and they have the power to haunt you for the rest of your life. What if, what if, what if? I don't know how your story ended, but if what you felt then was true love, then it's never too late. If it was true then, why wouldn't it be true now? You need only the courage to follow your heart. And I just wonder how many of us have lived in that. But suppose I went there, God. Suppose I tried that. What if I did that? And maybe we've we've kind of backed away from it for all kinds of reasons. And we thought, no, I can't do it. Or or, no, this hurdle's too big to cross. or, Or something in me won't let me go there. And actually God's saying, but my love is so great and my promises are so real to you that I want you to do it anyway and know that I'll be with you. Gav and I were working in a youth venue um, back over in England a few years ago and and one of the guys on team, um, we were chatting with him and he, he was saying to us that he has really, really struggled for the last two years because this girl, he was totally in love with this girl and they, they decided to split up before going off to university. And when they split up, he was absolutely devastated. And as he was as sh- kind of pouring out his heart, I was, I was sort of saying to him, you know, what's your future looking like? Like, what is God calling you into? What, what are the dreams that you've got about where you're going to head and where you're going to go? And everything revolved around this girl. And I said to him, well, what are you going to do about that? And he said, well, it's over. It's been over for two years. And I said, well, what have you been doing for the last two years? And he said, thinking about her every single day. I just said, oh, my goodness, that's so sad. And he just says, well, I'm so scared because if I go to her and she rejects me, then how will I move forward? Like, how can I, I move into the next bit of my life? I, I just don't know if I'll be able to cope if she rejects me. Anyway, we chatted and we, and we prayed with him. And, and kind of he left the conversation feeling, you know what, I've, I've got to do this. I, I've got to go to her and I've got to just see what happens. And amazingly, he went to her and he said, I, I am still in love with you. And I, and I really believe that God has a future for us together. And praise the Lord, she said, I'm in love with you too. And I've never forgotten you. And I believe that, you're, that this is right. And they, they got together and actually they've just got married, which is totally incredible. But the reason that I tell you that story is not to, to play that card of everything always ends out 
happily ever after because we all know that's not always true but what he did discover there was he was living in the what if and the suppose I go for so long that it kept him where he was instead of really living the life that God was calling him to live fourthly in chapter 4 and verse 1 Moses is still questioning God and he says this what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you what if I look and sound totally unbelievable when I come into Pharaoh's presence? What if I have no authority and everyone around me looks at me and thinks the same as what I think of myself? Who am I? You know, the Lord has said to Moses again and again and again, I will be with you. I am sending you. I am for you. I will rescue the, I will rescue the Israelites. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people. And you know what? We can think what God is saying to us is so, so small that we don't walk into it. Like we've kind of pushed it down inside of us. And God is saying, that is me. That is my whisper. That is what I'm saying. And we need the courage and the confidence to step out and do it anyway. I had a, f- a friend of mine um, sits around a leadership table um, in Leeds in the north of England. And she, and she doesn't believe that she has much to contribute around that table. And she, I sort of was chatting to her about it recently. And she was saying, the thing is, Anne, they're all like mega brains. And they're all like these people who've been leading for years. And they, they, they've got great ideas. And they, they know the way forward. I, they don't need me to contribute. And I said to her, why are you sat there then? And she said, well, I believe God's called me. And I said, well, if God's called you, he's called you with something to say, hasn't he? And we, we chatted a bit more and I said, have you got things that you feel led to say when you're in those meetings? And she said, yeah. I said, I think you need to start saying them. And again, we prayed together and she has begun to speak up and God is using her to contribute in a beautiful way in that team because every single part of the body is valuable to God, isn't it? And every single part is needed and when we begin to exercise what God has given us to do it creates something so much more beautiful than she or they might have ever imagined just turning to chapter 4 and verse 2 I just want to highlight something here you know the Lord says to Moses what's in your hand and Moses says a staff And when we get to chapter 4 and verse 20, it becomes the staff of God. It becomes the staff of God. And I wonder, you know, what has happened in that moment to turn the staff into, from a staff that Moses has probably been carrying for years and years into the staff of God. And I just believe that somehow we need to get to grips with the reality that God has put something in our hand, every single one of us. And he's saying, yes, you might think that it's just that thing that, I've, that you've had in your hand for years and years and years. You might think, oh, that's just me. It's no big deal. But actually God's saying, in my hand, if you surrender it to me, I can use it powerfully. I can part seas with it. 
I can, I can bring water from a rock with it. I can do amazing things if you surrender that to me. And I think some of us just need to believe that again. Fifthly, in chapter 4 and verse 10, Moses is still on and he says this, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God has already said the elders of Israel will listen to you. I will speak through you. It will be me. What are you on about that you haven't got it? It's me anyway. It's me through you we excuse ourselves out of so much don't we out of so much and finally in chapter 4 and verse 13 Moses ends by saying this oh lord please send somebody else to do it it's like he's worked through all this identity crisis and he's still there going, I can't do it. Send someone else, Lord. Even with all that reassurance, even with, with tackling all those questions, he's still there going, I can't do it, Lord. Please send someone else. And God is so gracious, isn't he? Because he says to Moses, I will send Aaron with you and I will put my words into Aaron's mouth. And I will help both of you speak and teach you both what to say. Because God knows what we need. And God provides what we need. God longs that we would encounter him and enlist in his plans. And he will change his world through us when we overcome some of the hurdles in our way. Thanks, Anne. At, at the end of each of the 16 chapters in this little book we wrote, we, are, we did a special section called Yes, But How? Because I don't know about you, I sit listening to a lot of sermons and talks and that's what's in my head. Yeah, I'm with it, but how? And so we've done small group material, extra resources, questions, individual Bible studies, various other stuff. So that's all in there. But, but what often stops us even getting to the yes is the barriers in the way. So I wonder, um, just to break this up a bit, and we don't want to be talking for an hour at you, what are some of the hurdles and the, the things that stop you even encountering God in the first place? Because let's face it, we're all busy. And what stops us encountering God? And then what stops us after encountering God having the confidence to enlist? Because what I love about the Moses questions that Anne's just looked at is, I don't know about you, I've often thought of Moses as superhuman. You know, he gets on and he does amazing things. But actually he has all these doubts and he steps over the doubts to do amazing things. He's a human like you and me. I can relate to him totally when I see the questions. When I watch my kids' cartoon versions of Moses, I can't relate to him. And so I wonder, just with, um, maybe just with the person next to you or a couple of people around you, just discuss what are some of the things that stop you encountering God in the first place or stop you enlisting to do great things in his name? What gets in the way? And there's no wrong answers here. It would just be good to get some of the wisdom of the room. So just maybe discuss that with the person next to you. Um, Love to get some feedback, and I'll have to repeat it for, uh, I was going to say the tape, but I mean, what, what generation was I born in? For the, I'll repeat it for the download. Um, anyone want to feed in? What kind of things are getting in the way? There's no wrong answers. It'd just be great to hear. It is pretty hard going, I agree. <laughs> but um, what, kind of, what kind of things are getting in the way? Fear. Lack of confidence. Time. Joe, time's a really big one. You've got the same amount of time as Einstein, but we use it differently. The Dalai Lama wrote a poem in which he says, we've got more conveniences than ever and less time. How does that work? Anything else? 
You see people in better suits the job, but you've given me a good prompt as well. That is the next point. <laughs> not that people are better, by the way. That's not the next point. Anything else? You don't want to fail. You know, I think um, I don't really believe in failure. I just believe in finding ways that it doesn't work. <laughs> but that's about perspective, isn't it? That's about perspective. Anything else? Good. Well, there's a good few things. I, personally, I think when it comes to encounter, we need to do better at making space. Do we make space to encounter God? You know, is our prayer life a monologue or do we ever listen? Do we ever ask God for stuff? I've got a mate who um, is a policeman and he'll ask God for help when he's interviewing people. And he says it's amazing what questions come into his head and then people get sent to jail, who should go to jail, by the way. It's not naughty. <laughs> but, but God's everywhere all the time. And, and are we expectant of an encounter with him? What I love is Moses just hanging around in the backside of the desert and he encounters God. It changes his life. Then the enlisting bit is hard. But the thing is, are the questions, as the five questions from Moses, are the questions and the doubts going to be the end of the story or the start of the story? And that's down to us, isn't it? Which is why the third E we want to look at is everyone. It takes all of us. It takes a body to change a culture. In Exodus 17, you've got an amazing story. It's where um, the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites and they beat them in the war. But what's going on is Joshua's leading the army down there. Moses is praying up on the mountain. But with Moses is Aaron and Hur. And Aaron and Hur hold Moses' arms up so he can keep praying. They also get him a stone to sit on, which sounds really uncomfortable, doesn't it? Where's his cushion? Anyway, but without Aaron and Hur, the battle gets lost. And in that story, you've got Moses, this great leader. You've got Joshua, this great warrior. You've got Aaron, this high priest. And you've got her. Who the heck is her? No one knows anything about him. He's only mentioned once on another occasion in the Bible. There are two hers in the Bible. Neither of them are mentioned very much. But there's this guy who steps up and plays his part without whom the battle doesn't get won. And friends, what we've got to start realizing is if we don't make our contribution, things won't happen in the same way. Everyone needs to play their part. And within this, um, I think there's a couple of things we need to realize. We need to realize that all people matter. All people matter. Whoever you are, whatever you bring, you matter. God thinks you're wonderful. He thinks you're amazing. And he's given you a unique set of skills. When you get really close to anyone, you realize the mold was thrown away, not because it was broken, but one of any person's enough. But without that person bringing what they have, the people of God are weaker. Also, all roles are vital. You might not always get recognized. You might not always get seen up in lights. But what you can do, the people you can influence, is unique and it's special and it's different. And the church of Jesus Christ is often failing because we're dependent on big mouths and professionals. And that is not the way you reach a nation. The way you reach a nation is you have a gathered church that scatters. Now, I am ludicrously excited being with you here at New Horizon this week. Because please take this in the right way. This is not me saying, isn't England massive, isn't Northern Ireland tiny? Please, please, please. But this is not a big geographical nation, and yet thousands of Christians are in a tent. Jesus changed the whole world with a youth group. According to the late John Stott, the disciples were aged 15 to 22, and they went on to change the world. What could this many people do in a nation this size? You could change it. 
It, ge- it gets me ludicrously excited. But it will only happen if all people are empowered, if we gather at New Horizon to be scattered. And if we accept our role matters, even if it's not what everyone else's is. You know one of the biggest illnesses in the church? Comparison. Comparison is a horrible sin. Comparison does nothing to help anyone. As it says here, the problem with comparison is you always feel either better than someone else or worthless compared to someone else. When my friend here said, um, well, there might be someone better. We've got to stop doing this. You get your identity in Christ by looking upwards, not by looking sideways. But comparison ruins things, doesn't it? And I've known this myself. I, um, I'm from quite a, a Christian family, let's say. And for those of you that are over a certain age, I won't suggest what age because I don't want to make you feel old. Um, you might remember saying my old man. My old man used to be quite well known in the United Kingdom. He started Spring Harvest. He's done quite a lot of stuff. And when I started out in ministry at 21 last year, people just kept comparing me to him. So they'd say things like, oh, you're quite good, but you're not quite as good. Or you've got a little way to go. Or when you grow up, you might be like him. And I'm just thinking to myself, I don't want to be like him. I want to be like who I am. Now, some things are genetic, aren't they? I'd hardly ever heard him preach. And I got mocked at Youth for Christ for doing what they called gav leg, right? Which means when I'm nervous, I bend one of my knees. (laughs) I saw my dad preach, having not seen him preach for 10 years. He does it too. That's genetics, friends. That's nothing else. That's genetics. But I kept having people almost wanting me to be Clive Calvin Mark II, not myself. But actually, I'm me. And we've got to stop doing it. Because Christians do it. They even do it in, in a way when they're trying to be nice, and it's not nice. Like I remember preaching at my parents' church in America. They run quite a large church. And I preached there, and the chair of the elders came up to me afterwards and said this. Gavin, when you preach, sorry, when your dad preaches, it's like you preaching with a brain. He says, but when you preach, it's like him preaching with a sense of humor. Do you know what I thought in my head? Statistics have shown that the most acute form of intelligence is the intelligence to make people laugh. (laughs) But you know what? I'm not having it. Because I'm not him, I'm me. There's some similarity, but I'm me. And until you can accept that you're you, we've got a problem. Until you can accept that you're uniquely placed and you're you, we've got an issue. We've got an issue that we won't be able to be fully empowered and fully equipped. Because God needs you. He doesn't need a second-rate version of someone else. He needs the best version of you. You know, when you get mentored by someone, I got mentored by um, a guy, Roy Crown. I, I don't know if you've come across Roy Crown. He's an absolute legend. I owe him loads. He looked after me for years. But Roy's got a bad habit when he preaches. He goes high-pitched at the end of his sentences and drops a few words. When he was meant to me in preaching, I realized I'd started doing this. <laughs> now, I've got enough natural bad habits on my own. I don't need his too, do I? And friends, it's good to learn from people, but we've got to be who we are. And until you're grateful to God for who you are, you can't possibly step into your vital role. Because all people matter and all roles are vital, but you've got to love yourself before you can step into that role and be accepting of what you've been given. You know, because we don't all end up doing what we dreamt of doing, do we? When I, in fact, put your hand up if you do the job you dreamt of doing when you were younger. Brilliant. Let's hear what some of them are. What, what do you do? You do what, so? Teacher. Brilliant. Teacher. 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 <laughs> Anyone not a teacher? <laughs> what do you do? Plumber. A mum. Brilliant. A mum. Do you know what? I affirm you. I affirm you massively because the most important thing you can do is raise a new generation. 
and God bless you. And I'm sick of my generation making people feel like that's second class. It's brilliant. When I was a boy, I wanted to be a footballer. Am I a footballer now? Well, I kick people <laughs> when I'm playing football. Just to go over. But no, I'm not a footballer. But you know what? I'm much better at what I do than I am at football. And you have to accept what God's given you and make the most of it. But you have to love yourself first. And when I was growing up, I grew up in the church where Graham Kendrick led worship. So we sang Shine Jesus Shine every week. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> then someone our age wrote quite a well-known song. You know, little Tim Hughes wrote a song called Light of the World, which you sing a lot. Then in recent years, the song everyone sings is by Matt Redman, 10,000 Reasons. Why are all worship leaders the size of hobbits? It's like, um, it's like I was biologically born to not lead worship, right? But anyway, <laughs> but growing up, there was a really significant song. It really touched me quite deeply. And it was really quite special. It was about butterflies, right? So if I was to say to you, if I was a fuzzy-wuzzy bear, right? <laughs> what might I thank God for? And if I were a kangaroo, right, what would I do? And, and were I to find myself being a fish in the sea, what would I do? I am counting on more interaction than this in a minute. Because here we go. Because I think the chorus of that song is a bit of a prayer. That if we could mean it, we could step into what God has for us. Because he needs everyone. Are we grateful for him making us us? Because the chorus of that famous Sunday school song, and I'm really hoping you join in with me, otherwise this is torture, <laughs> goes a little bit like this. For you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me a child. And I just thank you, Father, for making me. Spend a moment, shall we? Just close our eyes. Spend a moment. You don't need me to do this for you. Spend a moment talking to Jesus. Try and thank God for making you you. Say sorry for those moments you long to be someone else. Comparison makes you feel better or worse. Doesn't do anything positive. Makes you feel better because someone else is worse than you or worse because someone else seems better than you. We don't want to do that. Thank God for who you are. Let's spend a moment doing that. All people matter. All roles are vital. It takes everyone to change a culture. We just thank you, Father, for making us us, not someone else. Maybe that's an aspiration. Maybe it's a prayer. But try and live in the truth of that. Brilliant. I was just thinking, as Gav was talking then, um, that one of my kind of struggles has been kind of journeying and, and looking to the side and looking at him and seeing how God has used Gavin in just amazing ways over the 15 years. We've been married 15 years on Thursday, don't you know? Um, but ooh, <laughs> thank you. But um, recently I was, I was out running and um, he did his usual kind of jog straight past me at kind of a rate of knots and with his eight minute miles and I was doing my more like 11, 11 minute miles. And, and I really felt God speak to me because I, I kind of was looking going, oh my goodness, he's better, he's better, you know. And I just felt God say, Anne, he, he's running the same race as you at a different pace and you're both headed for the same destination, the same race 
at a different pace but for the same destination and and I think kind of my journey's been you know just fix your eyes on Jesus and hear the call that he has on your life which is unique as Gav's just said to anyone else's and you may run it at a different pace and you may run it differently to how you imagined you'd run it but you're we're all headed for glory aren't we and we'll, we'll all be there and praising God together so I just felt led to share that with you today the fourth e is equip equip and we very much have looked at numbers chapters 13 and 14 in the book as we've kind of unpacked this idea of God equipping us to be game changers in his land and the thing is about being equipped is that we really have to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us and so we ask this question who are we listening to who are we listening to and I don't know about you but over the years of my life I've found it hard not to be affected and influenced by by people's voices more than I'm influenced by God's voice and actually learning to kind of wriggle through it all and go Lord which bit of this is you and which bit is me and which bit is other people and Lord help me to figure out what you are saying in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, I mean, please turn to it if you want to. Otherwise, I'll try and give you a bit of a summary. This should be a triumphant conclusion to the Exodus story. Moses is standing on the border of the promised land and they are looking into this incredible land. And it should be a like, wow, as they, as they take the promised land, as they go forward into the, the promises of God, as they, they take all that God has promised to give to them. And yet it's not, is it? Moses sends 12 spies into the land. And he says to them, go and suss it out and see if it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they come back and 10 of them basically give a bad report about the land and two of them say differently and the bad report is this and it's very interesting in chapter 13 and verse 28 they say this the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and large we even saw descendants of Anak there the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then down in verse 32, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there and then we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them and so God has said to his people go and look at this land the land that I am giving to you the Israelites he's made a promise he's told them it will flow with milk and honey he said this is where I want you to be and yet they're going through all this stuff about what they're seeing there these giants that they're faced with and saying, do you know what? We're like grasshoppers. We can't take this land. Like we can't do this. And they listen to the voice of fear and they listen to, to what they see more than they listen to what God has promised them. 
And I love Joshua and Caleb in this passage because Joshua says in verse 30, he silences the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And 14 and verse 6, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who'd explored the lands, they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And fear, it just has this kind of way of just taking away the promises of God, doesn't it? Of stealing what it is that God has promised us. And I've really found this um, in my own life. About two years ago, Gav... um, I said to Gavin, this was a really stupid thing to do, by the way. Don't do this. Um, but I said to Gavin, I really believe that you've got too comfortable and too safe and too popular. <laughs> okay, well done, Anne. But he was working for Youth for Christ and he'd, he'd kind of got to the top of his game and he was leading well. And, and YFC was thriving in Great Britain. And, and it, was ama- it was an amazing time in our lives, wasn't it? And, and we were very settled and we'd, we'd been in the Midlands for about 14 years. And I just felt just in one conversation to say this to him, you've got too comfortable, too safe and too popular. And I also said to him, the man that I married declared to the Lord and to me that we would go wherever, whatever and whenever for the sake of the kingdom of God. Oh boy, was that a mistake. Over the next few months, Gav began to explore a calling to work um, with the Evangelical Alliance. And that's where we now find ourselves. And he was commuting then up and down from the Midlands to London. And it was a couple of hours each way. But with small children, it was, that was quite a kind of a difficult thing for us. And we decided as a family, because I was in the middle of training as a Baptist minister, that we would stay in the Midlands and he would commute to his job in London and I would work in Birmingham and we would try and manage the kids in all of that. And I kind of don't really know how we'd done it, but before God we'd said, this is all right, Lord, isn't it? We, we can do this. This is the right thing. It was a, a really, really interesting moment and I began to feel like a wrestle go on in my heart there was something not okay with what we'd done it was kind of like a bit of a this is how we can be most blessed how I can be most okay like this and yet between us as a couple things started to get really quite difficult and they'd never been difficult before in all the years that we'd been married everything had been pretty amazing and then suddenly it was like oh this is really really hard Anyway, we went out to Portugal last May. It was only last year. And I was going running along the road. And we, we use running a lot kind of as a spiritual discipline more than anything else. But I was running along the road. And I, and I felt the voice of the Lord come to me and say this. Anne, you're writing this book on game changers. But are you willing to change the game? And everything in me went, no. <laughs> no, Lord. I'm happy where I am. I'm training where I am. I, I'm, I'm settled in this church. I, I love the people. I, I can see you using me here. I want to stay here. This is good. 
And, you know, all my friends around me that were was, was saying all these things like, you know, y- this is good for you here and you're settled here and you've, the, you've got good schools here and your parents are only an hour away and, and all this stuff, you know, they, they were spreading this report that made me think, actually, this is the right thing. This is the right thing for us. And yet when the voice of the Lord came, it was like, and over over the next few months, he just began to open my heart and began to challenge me with the same thing. And you said you'd go whatever, wherever, whenever and whatever for the sake of my kingdom. And one day we were sat down and we were praying together. And it, w- it was really, I mean, it was almost a laugh out loud moment, really, because I finally came to this place of going, okay, Lord, I surrender my agenda to you. I lay down my plans. My heart is now open to what yours might be. I think it might, it should be here, but I'm going to hear and listen to you. And as we began to pray together, very reluctantly, may I tell you, the phone that was laid between us on the sofa began to ring, bring, 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 bring. And it was the pastor of this church in North London. And he says to Gavin on the phone, I would love Anne to come and finish her Baptist training here. I will pay her the same salary and she can work the same hours around school. She can have, it can be a term time contract so she can be with the children during the holidays. And it was just like everything and more of what really we needed at that time. And it, I mean, I still, he still put the phone down. I was still like, oh, really God? Really God? Um, we put the house on the market and it sold in the space of three days. And it was like the Lord was saying, I told you, I told you, I've gone ahead of you in this and will you do it? We had one school place, we needed two. And we, we sold the house in July. We were down there in London in September. And we walked into school on the first day and we walked into the infants and they said, oh, actually, there's a boy in Daniel's year group that's leaving and Daniel can take his place. (laughs) Bless Daniel. He thought he was having a day at the park and had the school uniform (laughs) in the boot of the car and I quickly got him dressed and (laughs) he had to go in. But the Lord has provided in such an amazing, amazing way. And when we begin to open our heart, to listen to God's voice, it isn't what we expect it to be. And you know what? I wouldn't change it though. And it's just beginning to say, Lord, what does that look like? And and actually laying down what, what people have said to us and pressing in to his voice. Have I got time to tell one more quick story? How long? I, I, would, I would dare tell you what to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very egalitarian. <laughs> just one more. I just feel prompted to just tell you one more quick thing. Um, I remember just when I got married and I was... Um, I'd left everything that I knew and we'd, I'd just come out of Bible college and it was a really, really hard time and, and we'd moved to a new place and, and everything was new. And at that point, I had no idea how to cook. And ev- I mean, literally everything was, was new in our lives. And I would ring my mum on average once a day and just say, mum, how do I do this? And mum, what about that? And some was very tearful and some was a little bit stronger than that, but still help, 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 help. And there was one day and she said to me, and you've got to stop calling me. And I was like, why, mum? And she said, where is your dependency? And I, and I just said, what do you mean? It's on God. And she said, no, it's not. Think about what you're doing every day. And I realized as I put the phone down and wanted to scream,
scream at her that I was very, very much depending on on my old way of living and on my parents' model of living and not on the Lord who wanted to show me that he was with me and that he loved me and had a plan for my life. And so I stopped calling my mum every day and I started praying and honestly that was the beginning of a journey of dependency with him that I could it's just been absolutely incredible who are you listening to who's leading your life and are you pressing into God more than the voices of the world thanks Sam and finally empower do you know what's amazing about a Moses story he doesn't take the promised land Joshua does. And you know what? The next generation might be able to go further than us, and that's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe I should have a dance. I've sung. <laughs> Do you know, I am fulfilling my role as an embarrassing dad. I'm delighted my nine-year-old's not here. She's banned me recently. She said, you're not allowed to dance in public, Daddy. In fact, you're not allowed to dance in the house. You're not allowed to sing in public, Daddy, except during worship, but then you mustn't sing too loud. And you, mustn't, you must stop putting your arms in the air so much. People are looking at you. I said, that, it's for Jesus. doesn't matter. Jesus understands. Keep your hands down. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, we pass on to the next generation that they might do more. We've got to dream more, haven't we, for the new generation. We've got to invest in them. We've got to help them. Help them not make your mistakes. Mark Twain says, history repeats itself. It has to. No one learns. Help the next generation learn. Help them not make your mistakes. Hold their hand. Work with them. You know, for too long, new generations have just done the same stuff and not worked together with older generations. We must not lose the wisdom of age. The church has got to be the place that goes against society and says, actually, the older you are, the more useful you are, not the more less useful you are. We need wisdom of age. But I'll tell you something. We need enthusiasm of youth. Even me, I do not have the energy I had 15 years ago, and I still have more energy than nearly every 20-year-old I meet. But it's all relative, isn't it? And we have got to match wisdom and enthusiasm. We've got a dream in new ge- for new generations. You know what, friends? There's another side to all of this, because when Anne talked about us moving and stuff, it's been amazing. But when you go all out for Jesus, it's hard. Do you know... Um, I've got shed loads of Twitter followers and yet I'm really lonely sometimes in what I do. I'm really isolated in what I do. You go out on a limb for Jesus, it's difficult. You go into most environments and people are against you. Especially as an evangelist, it's the rejection ministry. This stuff's difficult. We've got to realise it's difficult because the price tag's high. But the consequences of what we do might well be seeing a move of God in our nation we've never dreamt possible. You know what, encountering God's difficult because you come under authority. Then if you get married, you come under authority twice. (laughs) I believe in headship. It just sadly doesn't seem to be me most of the time. But but when you encounter God, you're holding your hands out and saying, Lord, whatever you want. When we enlist in his service, we don't say, you know, the disciples didn't say, what are my terms and conditions? What percentage do I get into a pension? Mary didn't say, I'll only give birth to Jesus as long as I can have a private suite to do it in. You know, David didn't say, I'll only write psalms as long as you give me the royalties each time you sing them. It's not like that. You just sign up and say, all right, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Use me to what you will. When it comes to everyone, I don't know if any of us chose what we have. We didn't. We were given gifts by God. We've got to choose to use them. That's the choice. 
Then it comes to being equipped. So often it's lovely to please the crowd. But, you know, I think for too long, the church has gone after statutory awards and OBEs and stuff when really we should be going after lost souls. We need to listen to the Spirit of God over the approval of the crowd. The crowd will love it when we do nice things that make society better. They won't always love it when we give people a chance to meet Jesus. Finally, when it comes to empowering, the beauty of the kingdom of God is it's not a competition. It's a family business, if you want to put it that way. You want the next generation to do better. Why? Because all of us win. <laughs> Therefore, we work together. I love the character of Moses. I love the privilege it has been to share with you guys. But my hope and dream is that each of us would believe we can be a game changer in our time. You know, there was some research done, and it's English research, so you'll have to forgive this. But there was some English research done. How do you change a county for anything? All you need to change a county is you need 10 people that believe in a cause enough they would give their very life for that cause. If you have 10 people in a county that would give their life for a cause, you can transform that county. Once you transform a county, you transform a country. Once you transform a country, you transform a continent. Once you transform a continent, you transform the world. The Lord comes surfing on a cloud and we party forever. It's not, un- it's not unbelievable. It's more than possible. I run in Adidas running trainers, right? And they have this slogan. It says, impossible is nothing. My running has proved that not to be true. <laughs> However, with God, impossible is nothing. Why not in our day? Why couldn't we see a mighty move of God? As we encounter God to a new level, we enlist in his service. We accept we're all involved. We hear his voice over the crowd. And then we pass on all we've got to the next generation. That they might go further than we ever could. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for this chance to hang out together. Lord, it's been fun to be together. But more than that, we want you to leave something with us that would really make a difference in our lives. Pray for each of my friends. They would go away with something really significant from this. Whether it's through something we've said or whether it's in spite of us, they would go away with something from you, something that would make a difference. That we might be a people that know you better tomorrow than we do today. That we might be a people who stand up for you. That we might be a people who accept our value and therefore accept our role that we might be a people that listen to you over the crowd and that we might be a people that pass on to the next generation king jesus make us game changers for your kingdom we pray amen